This session is from the 2023 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. For more information, please visit shepherds360.org. So I'm not usually on time, but we'll start on time and give you guys lots of uh, time for questions, hopefully after this, because I think this is a topic that um, engenders more questions sometimes than it answers. Um, if you don't mind, um, we'll start with prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity um, to bring all of us together. Um, we seek to do your will, and we want to learn... Um, how to protect a human being that you value and that you crafted and that you have plans for. Um, so teach us your will. Um, enable us to be brave in the, today's environment um, to advocate for the most defenseless of the creatures you've created. Amen. So um, as you know, I'm Ingrid Skop. I am a board-certified obstetrician-gynecologist. I have practiced in San Antonio, Texas for 25 years in private practice. And I've, I was raised in a pro-life family. Um, my father um, is a pediatrician who had six children and now 21 grandchildren. Um, but as an obstetrician, I began to recognize more and more how abortion was harming my patients. So I've always known and always advocated for the, the unborn child, but the, the women are being harmed, too, and I, I'm so excited to speak to this audience in particular. You are leaders in the church. I think if we could get the church to understand this issue and to engage in this issue, we would win the battle in this country, but I think without the church's engagement, um, we are not winning. Um, it, is, it is a very, very difficult issue. Um, I am the Vice President and Director of Medical Affairs of the Charlotte Lozier Institute. This may be an organization that you've never heard of. Charlotte Lozier is a think tank um, that is, um, its mission is um, science and statistics on life issues. And we want to equip you because we recognize that there is so much gaslighting in this country on this issue. There's so many things that people, even if they want to know, they cannot find the answer to. Um, Google is not pro-life, and so if you ask it a question, it's going to send you to Planned Parenthood's resources. So I hope to... Um, point you towards some information that perhaps you've not known, and also just offer the Lozier Institute resources for you so you can educate yourself more. We all know it's a difficult conversation to have, even with friends and family, or particularly with friends and family if they don't agree with you. And so you might find it easier to just send them one of our studies and say, what about this? Because everything that we write is very well referenced in the peer-reviewed literature. So it's not opinion, it's not pro-life propaganda, it's the truth, and the American people need to understand it. Um, so today we're going to talk about a variety of things. What is abortion, abortion in the church? Since you guys are a captive audience, I wanted to talk with you a little bit about that. Um, uh, what is chemical abortion? Um, how do data deficiencies in the United States keep us from knowing what's really going on? What has the FDA done um, under their prior protocols? What were the risks to women? And then subsequently, under essentially unsupervised chemical abortion today, what are the risks to women? 
and then we'll end with abortion pill reversal and um, uh, some Q&A time. So starting at the beginning, what is not an abortion? Um, contraception is an action that is taken prior to the act of intercourse with the intent of preventing a new human life. So generally hormonal methods will prevent ovulation so that an egg is not available to be fertilized. Um, barrier methods will keep the egg and the sperm from um, being in the same place at the same time. Plan B, I've discovered a lot of people have confusion about whether Plan B is a chemical abortion. Plan B is a form of emergency contraception. It's taken after the act of unprotected intercourse, but its intent is the same to prevent that new human life. It will delay ovulation so that an egg is not present to be fertilized. However, if an egg is already present when these drugs are taken, it doesn't do much. I've seen many women with very healthy pregnancies in the result of taking Plan B um, when they had already ovulated. Um, an abortion, on the other hand, has the intent of ending a human life that is known to exist. Um, and this can be done either through mechanical or surgical means or pharmaceutical means, and we'll discuss that in some detail. Um, I have the best job. Um, I love taking care of the unborn human. I just think he's an incredibly miraculous, complex human being. By 23 days after his life begins, he has um, electrical impulses causing the cardiac muscle to contract, distributing oxygenated blood cells throughout his body. Um, that is, by anybody's definition, a heartbeat. And if that heartbeat stops, he dies. So despite the misinformation from the media, heartbeats do start occurring that early. Within a few days, and in, in just a few weeks, we see arms, legs, brain, nose, mouth, ears. We can measure brain waves. We can see the skeleton. And all of his or major organ systems are present by the end of his sixth week of life. At that point, his name changes. He becomes a fetus. He's still the same person, of course. He's just in a different phase of life because he has all of his systems. They just now need to develop and mature. Um, we see fingerprints. We see fingernails. If we look on an ultrasound and pay attention, at 10 weeks gestation, we can tell if he is right or left-handed based on the thumb that he prefers to suck. So he is an incredibly complex human being. And of course, he is created by God and his life has value. And so abortion harms him, that's a given. Unfortunately, you'll find many people who say, I get it, I'll acknowledge that, but his mom needs abortion. Um, so who else does abortion affect? Um, it is estimated that one out of four American women have had an abortion. Um, Guttmacher surveyed these women to find out their religious affiliation. 24% were Catholic, 17% Protestant, 13% Evangelical. It's our daughters that are having abortions. At least five, or at least one out of five men also have lost a child to abortion. When obstetricians are surveyed, only seven to 14% of them say that they would perform an elective abortion. So the narrative that this is between a woman and her doctor is blatantly false. Um, and it is not necessary healthcare. If it were, as obstetricians, we would all be providing them, but we don't. Um, you're probably familiar with the Barna survey um, that found that although the majority of Americans um, think they have a biblical worldview, when they're actually queried about 
biblical issues um, and the social issues in our society today, it turns out that only 6% of them actually have a true biblical worldview. As an example, only 60% of these Christians believe life is sacred. Um, and many of these Christians believe the Bible is silent or ambiguous about abortion. 44% of evangelicals, 62% of Protestants, and 58% of Catholics in that survey thought that the Bible really didn't speak to the issue. The Family Research Council in 2023 um, surveyed regular churchgoers and found that 16% had been affected by abortion. And so in your pews, and you may know this, I'm preaching to the choir, I assume, there are so many women and men who, are, who are, have suffered harm. And in many cases, they're suffering silently. And they need forgiveness. They need reconciliation. They need their church to talk about this issue. Um, when the churches ask about their feelings about abortion, 27% said that they were pro-life without exceptions, a little over a quarter. 36% said they were pro-life, but there's some circumstances where it's okay to end that unborn child's life. 22% said they were pro-choice or they didn't really know what they thought. They hadn't really given it any attention. Um, more than half wanted the church to teach more about abortion. People are hungry for the truth on this issue. Um, I'll go through this quickly because I assume you're probably familiar with these, but for anybody who says the church is, or the Bible's silent, uh, they haven't read the Bible much. Uh, Genesis tells us that God created mankind in his own image, male and female. Job tells us that God clothed him and put him together, his skin, flesh, bone, and nerves, and that he put others together that way as well. Jeremiah and Isaiah both affirm that they were called to their ministries from before birth. You're probably all familiar with the beautiful poetry of Psalm 139, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And I love the story of the, the unborn John the Baptist leaping for joy in the presence of the unborn Jesus. Clearly, human life begins long before birth. For those Christians who think they're pro-life but think that exceptions should be allowed, um, the Bible speaks to this as well. Exodus reports God talking to Moses, telling him, Who made man's mouth? Who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I, the Lord? God created every single one of us, even if we're not perfect, and of course none of us are. Um, Isaiah also has the humorous story of the clay arguing with the potter about what he made. Um, and ends with God saying, concerning things to come, do you question me about my children or give me orders about the works of my hands? And Deuteronomy affirms that children should not be put to death for the sins of their fathers. These hard case abortions, they're heartbreaking. Definitely they're areas where we should... Um, want to help these women, but we need to ask ourselves, is just killing her child the answer to these difficult problems? Proverbs, of course, tells us to rescue those who are being led away to death, hold back those staggering toward the slaughter. So this is not just the children, but this is their mothers that we need to be intervening. Um, of course, Going on, um, James tells us that we must help the fatherless and not let the world make us evil. Genesis affirms that God wanted us to be fruitful and multiply, and that indeed he believes children are a reward, not a burden. And of course, Luke tells us that Jesus wants us to come to him as little children. 
Um, there's an interesting new book by Jonathan Kahn that addresses um, abortion in the United States today. Um, and I'd recommend you look at it. It's, it, it, it really, um, it's hard, it's hard to read. Um, but he does um, um, conclude by saying that as righteous people, we are not to live our lives in a state of survival. And I think that's happened for so many Christians today that we want to keep our heads down under the radar screen, not talk about these issues that are considered political um, because we don't want to be attacked. But in reality, we're called here to be in a state of mission and um, the mission of saving babies and protecting their mothers. And of course, we need to talk about what we stand for, not just what we stand against. And what we stand for, of course, is covenantal marriage and raising children in that situation. So if we were doing a little better job on that, and I realize it's a hard issue that's been going on for years, but we would certainly see far fewer abortions in this country. Now I'll turn to the topic that you came here to hear, um, chemical abortion. The um, regimen that's approved by the FDA is two drugs, mifepristone, also known as mifeprex, or RU486 is its French name that you may have heard, is a drug that's taken orally. It blocks progesterone receptors, cutting off the hormonal support for the child and causing his death. It's followed in about 24 hours by mesoprostol, um, brand name Cytotec, that causes contractions to begin to expel the tissue. It's a miserable, uh, miserable experience for women. Um, each, most women will experience almost all of these symptoms that I've got here in blue. The average woman will bleed for about two weeks. 8% um, will bleed for more than a month. And 40% of the women describe the pain as severe um, because, of course, she's going into labor to expel that child. Um, and so many of these women see that child that they've chosen to abort. And I forgot to mention it at the front, but the, all of these slides um, are going to be available to you as a PDF. Um, so if you're like, wait, she's going too fast, and what did she just say? Um, you can get access to that. And I'm doing two other talks. If you can't make those but want to see those slides, those are available as well. Um, so as I go through this, if you're non-medical, you may look at some of these pictures and go, why is she showing me that? But I think the reason I'm showing, I think they're beautiful, but I know not everybody does. But the reason I'm showing you this is that women are seeing this in their toilet. And what are the emotional ramifications of that? It turns out that the approval of this drug combination was very politicized by the FDA. In the waning days of President Clinton's administration, they rushed to get it through. They defined pregnancy as a life-threatening condition, which, of course, it's almost never life-threatening, so that they could use accelerated approval regulations. Initially, it had pretty tight um, restrictions. It was to be used only up to seven weeks gestational age. The provider had to be a physician, and he had to register to be an abortion provider. So not just any doctor could get access to these drugs. Um, dispense it directly to the woman. Tell her about the risk of serious complications. Complication reporting was mandated initially, as were three visits, two before and one after the abortion. Um, the um, requirements on the physicians were um, solidified into a risk evaluation and mitigation strategy, or RIMS, in 2011. This is a, a way that the FDA tries to regulate drugs that are known to be dangerous. They required the physicians to attest that they would accurately determine the gestational age, determine the location, make sure it is not an ectopic pregnancy, and if it failed, that they would provide a surgical intervention for the woman or have an agreement with someone else that she could go to. 
In 2016, under President Obama, the FDA loosened many of these safeguards. They extended the use to 10 weeks gestational age, even though uh, the higher the gestational age, the more frequent the failures. They said it no longer needed to be a physician prescribing it, even though, of course, only the physician is going to have the surgical skills when there's a complication. Um, they said they no longer wanted to hear about complications unless they killed a woman. And also they said follow-up visits, not necessary to look for complications. And it gets worse. Um, using the COVID pandemic as an excuse, um, President Biden's FDA removed all the in-person requirements. Um, that means face-to-face -face counseling, labs, physical examination, ultrasound, no longer required. Earlier this year, they began allowing this to be distributed through brick-and-mortar pharmacies instead of directly by the physicians. This allows these drugs to be ordered by telemedicine or online without anybody even knowing who is ordering them. They're distributed by mail, in some cases illegally, into the states that are trying to protect human life and through pharmacies without essentially, in many cases, any medical supervision. So self-managed abortion used to be a bad thing prior to Roe, but today the abortion industry has decided it's a good thing. Um, and these women are being steered toward these abortions. They're told that chemical abortions are safer than Tylenol or a shot of penicillin. So what do we know about that? The first thing that you should be aware of is that we really have almost nothing um, mandatorily collected about abortion data in our country. There is no accurate central database, even of the numbers. The states report to the CDC the numbers they think occur. Um, some states like California and Maryland that do a tremendous number of abortions don't report any data. Guttmacher Institute gets their data directly from the abortion providers, and they consistently report a lot more abortions than the CDC knows about. Only about half of the states have laws on the book mandating complication reporting from the abortionist. Fewer states require other doctors who are aware of complications to report. And um, most of the time, these complications are being cared for by other doctors. Many women do not go back to the abortionist who lied to her, telling her it was safer than Tylenol. There's few enforcement mechanisms, penalties for noncompliance. And I've discovered that many doctors in emergency rooms don't even know that these laws exist. Maternal mortality data is even worse. The CDC gets most of their um, mortality data from death certificates. And there's a lot of reasons, I'll be discussing some of this uh, later this afternoon, but a lot of reasons that death certificates do not record that abortion. Maternal mortality is, is a death that occurs anytime during a pregnancy, at the time of the end of the pregnancy, or up to a year after the end of the pregnancy. And it, it makes intuitive sense that many women have mental health complications from their abortion, particularly if they did not want the abortion and were coerced or other things were going on. And so the CDC really makes no attempt to find those women. Better quality data can be found in European countries. Um, uh, in a lot of those countries, they have single-payer health care that pays for elective abortions. And then they can subsequently link those to medical events that happen afterwards. In Finland, they've documented that 94% of the time, women who've died in that time period related to an abortion, their death is not recorded, or the death certificate does not record the abortion. So just showing how bad that data is. Just one example of many of the abortion industry studies that promote abortion um, through really poor data. Um, the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, which I used to think 
sounded like a reputable organization, said that serious complications or long-term physical and mental health effects after abortion are virtually non-existent. No special equipment or emergency arrangements are required for chemical abortion. And abortion is so safe that the only deterrent to its safety is when states put in place um, restrictions keeping a woman from immediately getting an abortion. But when we look behind the curtain, we see that this was funded by six outspoken abortion advocacy organizations. They did a literature review, and then they threw out most of the studies and said they had defects, and then ended up relying on abortion industry studies. And one of the problem with the abortion industry studies is they talk about the complications they know about, but again, women often do not go back to them. But they assume they'll have 20, 30% loss to follow up, and they just assume without reason that those are uncomplicated abortions. So in this case, there were um, three long-term issues that they looked at. Does abortion affect mental health? Does it affect um, preterm birth? And does it, affect, uh, does it increase the risk of breast cancer? Um, they based their conclusion of no long-term impact on less than five studies when for each of the topics there were between 75 and 160 studies available, the majority of which did show a positive correlation. Um, but nonetheless, our mainstream media are happy to pick up on that kind of really poor quality information and promote abortion to women. Uh, we do know that mifepristone can increase the risk of hemorrhage, both direct effects on uterine vessels, and also the fact that it does not resolve a pregnancy outside of the uterus. So an ectopic pregnancy it won't resolve it. It'll continue to grow. It can rupture, um, lead to catastrophic hemorrhage, and it has killed women. Um, it doesn't work very well to get all the tissue out, um, so it must be used with mesoprostol, but nonetheless, there's still a lot of retained tissue that occurs. Um, both of these drugs can increase the risk of infection, um, both directly and if there's dead tissue. Again, that's a source for infection, and half of the deaths that have been reported have been due to overwhelming sepsis. Um, the strongest warning that the FDA can place on a medication is called a black box warning. And mifepristone has a black box warning. Uh, Tylenol, of course, does not. They warn the providers that a woman can present with a serious infection and not have a fever, not have an elevated white blood cell count, or not have significant pain, so an atypical presentation, um, or that she may bleed so much that she needs surgery. And it's been reported... Um, that there were two deaths last year from Clostridium sordellae sepsis, one in the United States, um, I believe in um, Nevada, and one in uh, Canada. Um, so women do die when these do not get recognized. The warning label also tells the doctors they need to rule out an ectopic pregnancy, which we already discussed, and they need to do uh, detect a woman's blood type. Um, they need to offer her Rogam um, if she is Rh negative, because this will prevent future pregnancy complications. So where can we find better data? Because obviously in the United States, this data is um, very, very biased. We can look at systematic reviews that look at all available studies. Um, two have been done. Um, these were actually abortion advocates, but nonetheless, when they have to look at all of the data, they reported 3.4 to 4.8% uh, of the women requiring surgery after chemical abortion. Um, and this is despite the fact that the, those studies still had lots of women lost to follow up. The best quality study is called records linkage. So if you can determine all of the abortions that are done and then link them uh, directly to all the subsequent complications, that's a pretty good quality. In Finland, this has been done. Over 42,000 abortions, early abortions, less than nine weeks, documented that 6% of the chemical abortions required surgery, and even almost 2% of those who had surgical abortions needed another surgery. 
This graph demonstrates that um, complications were four times as frequent after a chemical compared to a surgical abortion, and that the, the complications affected one out of five women. A follow-up study there looked at later abortions compared to first trimester. In the first trimester, 10% required surgery. In the second trimester, almost 40% required surgery. At Charlotte Lozier, we were able to do a similar study. Um, believe it or not, there are 17 United States that will allow their state Medicaid money to pay for elective eugenic abortions. Um, we were able to look at that data and do records linkage, looking at over 400,000 abortions. We documented that 5% of the women who had a chemical abortion were in the emergency room with a complication within a month. 2% of those with surgical abortions also had a complication. When we looked closer, we discovered that 60% of the time they were miscoded as being a complication from a miscarriage. So just further showing how, how cloudy the data is. I think women are being told they don't have to tell it was an abortion, that the doctors can't tell the difference. And of course, many times they're ashamed. They don't want to talk about it. And I think uh, ER physicians may just assume that it was a miscarriage. But when we looked in a follow-up study, these women who'd been miscoded, they were treated differently. They did not get the treatment they needed as quickly. They averaged about three visits in the emergency room before they finally got surgery. A um, little bit more data on just the complications. We would expect it over three million chemical abortions in the time period that the FDA was requiring complication reporting, um, using 2% as, as a lower uh, level of complications. Um, we would have expected 74,000 reports. What the FDA got was 3,800 reports, only 5% or less of the anticipated complications, just demonstrating the abortion industry does what it wants and doesn't tell anyone about its complications. In 2020, there were more than half a million chemical abortions in this country. Over half of all abortions were performed chemically, and it's estimated that this is gonna continue to increase. Using those failure rates that I just mentioned, we would have expected between 17,000 and almost 50,000 women to require emergent surgery a year. You may be wondering, why don't we hear this? Why, you know, of course, the mainstream media wants to suppress this information because they want to promote abortion to women. But these women are so, they're ashamed and they're silent and they don't want to talk about this. They're suffering undoubtedly, but they're suffering in silence. And I've had women tell me, Dr. Scop, I, I just think this is what I deserve for making the decision I did. So this is the state of, of where our women are today. Obviously, it benefits the abortion industry. It's, it's very lucrative. They don't have to hire surgeons. They can circumvent state laws. Um, but these women, obviously, no benefit to them. Um, and what does she do when she finds her child in the toilet? Does she flush it? Does she throw it in the trash? Does she take it in the yard and bury it? I mean, these are the decisions these women are having to make. Um, so, it's as I said, it's even worse now. Um, these chemical coat hangers are everywhere. Um, they're being ordered by telemedicine online, distributed through the mail, in many cases illegally. Eventually, the goal is over-the-counter provision. So what else can go wrong with these unsupervised abortions? Um, women are being asked to estimate their own gestational age. They may be wrong. If, if she's a month further along than she thought, Instead of having failure rate of 6%, she may have a failure rate of 39% requiring surgery. Um, no one's looking to see if there's an ectopic pregnancy. They're not uncommon. One out of 50 pregnancies is in the tube. Again, it doesn't work there. This is 
probably not a pleasant picture to look at, but this is an ectopic getting ready to rupture. It's not even ruptured yet. When it ruptures, there, it, the, the tube cannot stop the flow of blood, and it has killed women. Um, not performing labs means we're not detecting women who need Rogam. That's 15% of the population. This can cause a woman to develop an immune response to her future children. So when she's carrying a pregnancy later, her body may attack that child. And this can lead to stillbirth. It can lead to brain damage. It's a very severe complication. About one out of 20 women presenting for an abortion also have a sexually transmitted infection like chlamydia. So we, we're missing the opportunity to diagnose and treat that, and those can lead to future infertility. With some women who are anemic, may not, it may not be in their best interest to bleed heavily for two weeks, but nobody's screening for them either. Um, Again, we don't even know who's ordering these pills. Um, so is it a woman who wants an abortion or is it her sex trafficker, her incestuous abuser, her coercive boyfriend or husband? We don't know the risk because we don't keep good data, so we can't really do good informed consent counseling. There are almost 3,000 crisis pregnancy centers in this country, and I hope all of y'all are know of a church and are, are actively supporting one because they come alongside these women. They offer them emotional support, material support, relationship support, sometimes financial support. And a recent study demonstrated that 60% of women who'd had an abortion said they would have carried if they'd had support. So this is available and they're doing an amazing job. But how does a woman know about this if she goes directly to a chemical abortion website and orders these pills? And again, no provider relationship. This is not a medical procedure. I mean, it's, it's a medical procedure for social indications, but it is free of all the rules that govern how we provide medicine, that there's no relationship, no one to turn to in a crisis. Um, I wanted to mention a lawsuit that is um, working its way through the courts and, and may have an impact on this issue. The FD's job, of course, is to protect the American public from dangerous drugs. So the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine, which is a coalition of pro-life pro medical doctors, has sued the FDA saying, you didn't do your job. You rushed this through. You've taken away the safeguards. These drugs are not safe. Um, the Texas judge, um, uh, Kasmerick and Amarillo, agreed with us. He said, you know, these drugs should have never been approved. The Fifth Circuit is weighed in. They agree as well that the way they're being provided is very dangerous. And um, it is being appealed to the Supreme Court. So that may uh, tighten up some of this a little bit. Um, you're probably aware that our country over this issue particularly is just dividing um, down the middle, red states, blue states. The, reds, the blue states are um, actively shielding these abortionists who are committing medical malpractice and breaking the law. They've passed what they call shield laws, saying that you can't, Texas, you can't come for our abortionist in New York, and they can't lose their malpractice insurance, and they can't lose their medical license, no matter what poor quality care they provide. Um, there was an article in the Washington Post demonstrating this. Um, there were pictures of these doctors in New York on their um, coffee table putting together little abortion pill packets that they're mailing into the um, pro-life states. And, and they're very brazen. Uh, they quote a doctor saying, Texas might say I'm breaking their laws, but I don't live in Texas. So, um, you know, in summary, what does this mean? What, what's going on? I mean, it's horrible. These, these abortions happen at home, alone. The woman can't enter her bathroom without remembering 
the crisis that she's been through. Coercion, abuse, obviously driving many of these abortions. She's alone. She has to find her own emergency care or determine if she needs it. She has to figure out what to do with her baby's body. Um, a little light of hope is the abor that abortion pills can be reversed. Um, why would a woman seek that? Well, many of these women are coerced. Um, a, another study from Lozier said that 60% of women, there was strong degree of pressure from some source seek, causing her to seek an abortion. 24% said flat out they were coerced. This was an unwanted abortion. Um, sometimes they change their minds. Um, if they intervene quickly, um, they a lot of times they'll do an internet search, they'll find the abortion pill um, hotline, um, and um, or she may contact a, a pregnancy care center. And what is given is just natural progesterone. So mifepristone, like I told you, blocks progesterone receptors. So if you give progesterone, you may be able to keep enough of those receptors turned on that the pregnancy can continue. This is very similar um, to the way that Narcan um, reverses an opioid overdose. So it's scientifically uh, very plausible. Um, literature review shows that only a, less than a quarter of babies will continue to live if just the mifepristone is taken. Animal studies show similar numbers, but if you give pro progesterone, survival increases to 80 to 100% in the animal studies. In people studies, um, the most effective regimens are around 64, 68%. So again, we go from only one out of four babies that'll continue to survive to at least two-thirds. Um, it's used off-label, but that's not a big deal. Um, label means that the FDA has studied a drug for a particular indication, but once a drug is approved, many times physicians will say, well, if it worked for that, it might work over here. That's off-label. It's not illegal. It's not, you know, as long as it's um, uh, backed up by research, it's, it's a reasonable thing to do, and it's about 20% of the drugs in our country are used that way. Um, Sadly, um, many of the mainstream medical organizations um, are very pro-abortion. I wouldn't even call them pro-choice because in this case, they don't support this choice for a woman to change her mind. They want, they want the, the baby to die, and the collateral damage to the women is really not, not their concern. I think this is clear. My professional organization, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists, ACOG, has called APR unproven and unethical. Uh, by the way, they also just went um, on, in the Washington Post, uh, wrote an op-ed saying that any abortion for any reason without limitations is their goal. Um, and we think there could be, you know, there, surely there's some abortions that women shouldn't have or there's some limitations that might make it safer for a woman. The AMA also has called it contrary to science. The doctor who pioneered this has been slandered for poorly designed unethical experiments. Colorado has already passed a law prohibiting this. They call it deceptive advertising. And the Colorado Medical Board has um, voted that they're going to punish doctors for providing this intervention. California, of course, followed suit. Uh, they're suing Heartbeat International that uh, provides these um, uh, that connects women to these providers and also a clinic that provided APR. Um, so I think that's all I have. I, we do have some time for questions, um, but I did want to let you know that our website, again, it's got lots of information. So if you feel overwhelmed, um, that's understandable because there's, you know, I'm thinking maybe a lot of this is things you have not heard before. You can find more information there as well as other um, issues. Um, regarding abortion, uh, coercion, maternal mortality, just complications directly from it. So uh, anyway, thank you for your uh, attention. Yes, sir.
That's a good question. Ed, before it became unregulated, the abortion providers charged almost the same amount of money for a chemical abortion as the, about $550 as they did for a surgical abortion, $600. So there was a time that they were making quite a bit of money. And I would say one of the reasons also that they are promoting chemical abortions is they're having trouble finding doctors willing to do surgical abortions. It's, again, I'm, as you can probably tell, I'm very disappointed in my profession because most obstetricians, if you ask them, would say they're pro-choice. But will they get their hands dirty? No. So, so they're letting these women go through this horrible experience because it, it benefits them. Since it has um, been um, deregulated, essentially, the price has gone down substantially. I'd say probably around 200 is what women are paying to get these pills from online websites. So that's led me to think, and I'm sure you as well, well, what else is going on? If it's not about the money, what else is? I mean, I think we all recognize being who we are. This is a spiritual issue. And there is, there is just something about a culture of death that, that wants these abortions. Because you don't see them promoting effective contraception the way they promote abortion. And if it was just about not having children, this is where they should be, you know. Um, Unfortunately, also in medicine, there is a very strong eugenic paternalistic um, motivation. Uh, that's been the case for ACOG since before Roe. There are some babies that they don't want to see born, um, babies who might be less than perfect. There's very much eugenic uh, search and destroy. Let's diagnose a fetal abnormality early so we can end that baby's life. Um, uh, we see the populations who have more abortions tend to be poor minority um, unfortunately, the black community has been devastated by abortion, so there's that motivation too. There's population control motivations, which doesn't make any sense at all because our country's total fertility rate is way below replacement. We should be promoting babies instead of trying to prevent them from being born, but nonetheless, there's, there's that motivation as well, sadly. So, anyone else? Yes, sir. Yeah, so the, the drug is progesterone. So it's essentially the same thing a woman makes naturally in her body, but their um, progesterone has been approved for other indications. It's interesting, like we use it like candy in early pregnancy, progestational hormone. I mean, its name tells you what it is. So a woman bleeds, she's had a previous miscarriage, she um, uh, conceived through artificial technology. Um, any of those things are enough for us to go, here, have progesterone. There, there's no harm to it. Um, but in, for this indication alone, there's the resistance. Okay, so it was approved by the FDA for other medical uses. Yes. Mifepristone, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Well, that's you know, I, it, this is the world we're living in. Is there's just re 
Um, in Colorado, there are some pregnancy centers that are suing the state. Um, it's, I mean, right now it's very difficult because it is a, a David and Goliath fight. I mean, there's a lot of pro-life organizations, but in general, they're fairly poorly funded. And, and there are pro bono um, pro-life legal organizations like Alliance Defending Freedom that's bringing the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine lawsuit. But there's just, there's so much going on, it's really hard to keep up with. One other thing that's happening, because you also may be thinking, well, you know, she's the first obstetrician I've heard talk about this. Like, why aren't the obstetricians talking? Um, I can because now I don't, I, I was in private practice and because I was very vocal, I needed to leave that job. I'm working with an organization right now that, of course, this, this is their goal, is for me to give information. But the American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology, it's not ACOG, but they're very closely knit, sent a letter about a year ago to all the obstetricians saying, if you promote misinformation about essential reproductive health care, which we all know means if you say something pro-life, you can use you can lose your board certification. So in many cases, I mean, obstetricians, bless their hearts, were hard workers, but were not the bravest, apparently. And so many obstetricians will just go, well, I'm not, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to get in trouble. And um, meanwhile, these, these states are just bulldozing. I mean, if they get away with it in Colorado and California, you know, New York, Illinois, I mean, it's, they're all going to be doing it. So um, it's, it's sad, but it's, it's where we are today, unfortunately. Anyone else? Oh, yes, ma'am. You know, the COVID pandemic opened my eyes to just how bad things had gotten in the medical profession, that doctors weren't willing to use their own judgment, their own experience and that instead they were they relied on guidelines and if the guidelines said don't do this they didn't do it and if the guidelines said do this even if it didn't make any sense they did it so i you know i'm optimistic that enough people in america are like wait a minute what happened to medicine that maybe there'll be some pressure i like to and, and you guys can tell your friends and and do this with your own gynecologist i like to tell everybody that i talk to that acog again it washington post article 2 or 3 weeks ago said any abortion, any reason, any time in pregnancy without restrictions. And so women, I think many obstetricians don't even know what ACOG's doing. They're busy. They're seeing 30 patients a day, delivering 15 babies a month, wanting to get home to their families. They're not aware that the organization has been hijacked, but women need to, or need to ask their doctors, do you support that? And if they don't, then they should tell ACOG, because almost all of us are members. Um, and just, you know, they, so far ACOG's been able to um, ignore those of us that are vocal, but I think it, we could get a critical mass where maybe they would start responding to what we ask. But uh -huh. Exactly. You just tell you, do, I mean, it's it, the, what, the way they said it was very, like, okay, that's clear, <laughs> you know. Uh, but anyway, we'll just keep doing what we can do and uh, press forward, I think. So anyway, well, thank you. Oh, yes, sir. Uh, along that line of thinking, couldn't an 
other organizations spring up and take the place, not take, not replace, but mm -hmm. become as influential so that doctors like you uh -huh. join that organization to become influenced by them. Yeah. Just as credible as anybody else. Yeah, that's a good question. So there is another professional organization called the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists, which I used to be on the board. I'm a member. Um, it's 4,000 members. ACOG is 60,000. So it's going to be a long time before we rival them in influence. Um, but yes, that is, you know, that's trying to happen. Again, I just think, you know, just like in the church, I just think in medicine, there's so many doctors that are like, this issue doesn't affect me. I'm just going to keep my head down because if they raise their head up, it gets shot at. Um, but um, as far as board certification goes, ACOG doesn't do, it's, the, it's a different organization. And there is another organization that does board certification that's much smaller, but it's not available in every hospital. So that is something that we're looking at to try to uh, promote um, this organization called the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine. Again, it's a fledgling organization, but its goal is to bring under its tent Hippocratic practitioners who don't kill their patients. Um, and I have, I have, I'm optimistic for that organization, but right now it's very small too. So, yes, ma'am. Yeah, it's a problem. Um, I have a son who's a second year medical student right now and watching him go through the application process, it is clear that medical schools, the way they phrase their questions with diversity and you know we know all the catch words, they're actively screening out conservative students. Um, when they become medical students, they don't, they don't want to draw attention to themselves because, again, maybe they don't graduate. Maybe they don't get a residency slot. When these, I've had so many, particularly young women who want to be obstetricians, say to me, I can't, I can't take the chance. I, I, I'm, I'm afraid that at some point I'll put in all this work and I'll be screened out. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they just they have to keep their, once they get in, they have to keep their head down and be quiet until they get all the way through their training, and then at that point they can talk about it, but not if they join a big group, or not if they're too vocal and they get on ABOG's way, you know. Um, so it, it's a problem, but you know, I just, every time I get the chance, I'm encouraging good people to go into medicine, but, um, but they, definitely medicine as a whole wants doctors that it can control, that'll follow their guidelines and not think independently, sadly. But uh, anyway. Well, I think we're time for the break. If anybody has a question, though, I'm happy to answer others personally, or you guys can email me. Thanks for listening to this session from the 2023 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. This material is copyrighted and may not be altered or sold. For information, please visit shepherds360.org.